Hey, Happy New Year. This is another episode of Film Streak. My name is Rob, and what I do here, every episode I talk about some new movies that I've seen. And these aren't necessarily new releases. Sometimes they are. Other times they're movies that are just new to me, something that I haven't seen uh, ever. And sometimes it's a classic, sometimes it's a foreign film, sometimes it's an overlooked indie thing that uh, just needs a little bit of attention. And uh, for one reason or another, I just uh, I just never got around to watching them. So that's what I'm doing. That's the the deal here is I'm just trying to get this watch list that I have of hundreds of movies that I'm interested in seeing and always seem to put off. Well, trying to get trying to get better at that. And here we are. We're at the beginning of the year, and so this kind of renews the whole challenge for me. You know, I started this a year ago, almost a year ago. Uh, to this day. And what a difference a year makes, you know? Uh, This time last year, uh, I was at home sick with COVID, isolated, and just uh, spent that time trying to get a little better and just watching a lot of movies. And it turned out that that was kind of the genesis of the idea is I was watching something new. And I started the year thinking, okay, well, Maybe I can just do this every day. And so I started that way. Other things happened. Uh, I lost some people very close to me, very close to my heart. And so that affected a lot of things. But uh, we're back on track. We're trying to do some new stuff here. And um, every once in a while, I'll, I'll switch some things up. So a little while ago, a few episodes back, Uh, I talked about Black Christmas and the remake of Black Christmas. And it reminded me that I used to do this thing where I would look at a movie and look at the remake of the movie and kind of compare and and talk about the differences and maybe why one is better than the other. In some cases, the original is better than the remake. And in some cases, the remake is better than the original. And so I used to call that Remake Rewind. And I did that for Soda Pop Journal which was a website that uh, me and some friends uh, did maybe a dozen years ago at this point. So this episode, we're going to combine this with the Film Street Challenge here. And so now we're going to pick this up where we left off. Film Street 179, Solaris. At precisely 1900 hours, I entered the cabin of the spacecraft and settle back for liftoff. Ready, Kelvin? Ready. Good luck. Donatas Banyonis. Vladislav Vorjetsky. Natalia Bondarchuk. Play the leading roles in Solaris. The scene is somewhere in the cosmos. The time, the distant future. The place, a planet yet unknown to us. Let us take you with us to Solaris, planet of mystery, embodiment of man's latent conflict with the unknown. Man, face to face with his conscience, and with his past. Directed by Andrei Tarkovsky, 
who gave us the classic film Andrei Rublev. A studio must film production. Okay, so this is a film from 1972. It's a Russian film, and uh, it's directed by Andrei Tarkovsky. Um, it's written by, uh, it's actually based on a novel by an author, Stanislav Lem. Yeah, I've never read the novel, so I'm not familiar with the source material. And one of the things with adapting a novel or, or some piece of writing into a film it's a different format, so some things are going to change. And I think if you've seen enough movies, you probably understand that. You've seen big, high-profile movies like, oh, I don't know, something like The Lord of the Rings and those films, that film franchise, where it's based on books that are very specific, very detailed, and so much gets either changed or left out or other things are added in just because it's a different medium. And you have to tell the story sometimes in different ways. So all that said, I'm not really going to talk about these films in terms of how faithful they are in terms of the original source material and maybe some of the changes. Because honestly, I don't really know what would have been changed or what might have been left out. So we're just going to talk about the films at face value for what they are and in, in, in terms of a visual medium in terms of this type of storytelling format. So let's talk about this. This is Solaris. This is from 1972. And uh, this stars some, some actors that I'm not familiar with at all. I don't know that many, uh, let's say American audiences might be familiar with, but uh, I'll tell you that the only preconceived notion I have of this film is that it is highly regarded as a science fiction classic. Uh, it's also, from what I can see, a, a little bit of a landmark for Soviet filmmakers, and because this is a film that um, really addresses some bigger concepts and some very existential questions. I don't know that those are all necessarily answered in, in the way that is a nice, tidy fashion, but I can say that this is a film that does seem to it does seem to have its eyes on a much bigger goal in mind. If you look at the premise of the story, you know, it's somewhat, it's, it's complicated and pretty simple at the same time. This is a story about a, a psychologist. Um, his name is Chris Kelvin. He is examining or he's under, he's trying to understand some reports of, Incidents that have been happening in the space station that is orbiting a, a mysterious planet called Solaris. And just strange things have been happening. The people that have returned from missions there are having very unusual accounts of their experience. And it, on the surface, it seems like this may just be a matter of people kind of losing their minds. And so he's called in to look into this, kind of investigate. And at some point he actually goes to the space station. Now, the the thing is, if you come at it from a very kind of clinical point of view, you're trying to understand and, and let's say diagnose the problem. But when 
he arrives on the space station and he starts to understand that uh, it's also manifests itself in in terms of like a, a certain paranoia with with the crew that is remaining. Uh, and then also he's starting to see his own visions and starting to get confused by what is happening. And one of the things that does happen to him is he sees his wife. And I'm, I don't just say he sees her, he interacts with her. He believes it's her. And yet it can't be. The, this story really holds that card close to the vest of why this is a problem that he's seeing his wife. Because you could sort of chalk it up as just a hallucination, but it's clearly not a hallucination. He's a- actually able to interact with her. And in this film, in this version, things aren't revealed until about two hours into this film. And this is almost a three-hour film. You know, the, the first, I'd say, like 40 minutes of it is just set up. We don't actually get to the space station to start seeing everything that has been talked about for almost an hour in. And so with that in mind, uh, the, the film moves at a very deliberate and, and honestly, it becomes a little bit of a slog just to get to something that that is meaningful in this story. A lot of it is just setting it up and setting up expectations and setting up uh, a little bit of understanding of what everything is, like who the characters are and what the places are. I think maybe to my sensibility, just as a, as a modern contemporary moviegoer, it feels like it's way too long. It does seem to just plod along to get us to the next thing. And so when we understand like the nature of what is happening on the space station, the nature of what is Solaris and what is this ocean on the planet that is having these mysterious kind of uh, almost supernatural abilities, that is where the science fiction of it comes in, I guess, is, is we're trying to see, um, we're trying to see our way through this kind of fantastical element. What's nice about it, though, is the film also backs it up in terms of the characters looking at it that way, but also looking deeper into themselves and trying to understand a little bit more of of their nature themselves as, as just humans, as mankind. You know, the film does pose some questions about just the nature of existence and the nature of reality and love. And how all of these things can affect one's outlook and even one's just general existence is really heady stuff. I mean, it's it it goes pretty deep. You know, one of the things I I do remember seeing, this film came out in 1972. And if I remember right, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 came out just a few years earlier. I think that was 1968. And in a way, both of these films kind of ask questions about the same thing, the nature of our existence, uh, the nature of what else might be beyond that, like what's next for us as a species. These kinds of questions, this movie Solaris also asks, but in different ways and maybe more, maybe more human ways. and also through the lens of love and relationships and loss and grief. 
And so um, in that respect, you know, this is actually a, a pretty substantial story. So with that in mind, like, I was really fascinated by this. Yeah, this film is uh, now, at this point, I mean, it's 50 years old. And and yet it addresses, or, it, or at least asks some questions that still feel relevant. And so with that, I feel like it's standing the test of time in terms of the concepts of it. And I'm I'm with it. Where this film starts to fall short for me is more in the craft of it. And uh, I, I just think um, when you look at other films and some films that I've talked about here on Film Street, some films that are 50 years old or even older, and you you might think, well, filmmaking wasn't as refined or, or as uh, smart as it is today. But look at other films that were made before then. And they were clearly highly proficient and knowledgeable filmmakers and storytellers at work way before 1972. And I'll just say this, not to say that this is a bad film or it, you know, looks horrible or or anything like that, but it just feels not very polished. For a modern audience, I think that's a big, it's just, audiences are so much different than they were in 1972. And so for anybody watching this movie now for the first time, like me, it's just, a, it doesn't really hold up. You have to really work to look past what you're seeing on screen to understand like the deeper meaning of it, the significance of it. And that, and that is important, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of casting aside any, um, any, let's say visual or aesthetic tastes. Uh, you know, even the performances, some of the performances here are so kind of stiff and, uh, I don't know. I it's just a lot on the surface that really doesn't work to me. What's underneath the surface is great, and I appreciate it. But everything above that that I got to get through to get to the meat, um, it's it's just it's it falls short for me. I would say you know if you're going to watch this film, you're going to watch this as the original version of this. Keep that in mind. It's very long. It's almost three hours. You know, we don't really get, the story doesn't really get on its feet and running until about the 45, one hour mark. And we don't really get to the crux of it all, of what this character is struggling with until about the two hour mark. But I'll say the ending here is actually very fascinating and, um, I just think uh, everything to get to that, it, it's it's just, it's a grind. And so that, I mean, that comes down to some of the camera work, some of the editing, some of the performances. Um, I, there's There's a lot that just feels really kind of rough around the edges. Some of it is actually very inventive. You know, some of the special effects, some of the things they're able to pull off here, some of the set design, some of the cinematography is really actually 
breathtaking. But there are other parts that feel very uh, kind of slapped together. Um, and it's, it's, it's not the thing, it's not on the level of something like 2001. There's a certain precision and a refinement to that that uh, really, to me, makes that a timeless classic. And, you know, by comparison, let's just say with 2001, there's so much to to feast your eyes on. It's such a spectacle to it. That takes up so much of your attention. It maybe takes a couple of watches to really get to what is happening underneath the surface, what the deeper meanings are, Right. So it's almost, in a way, it's the way I look at it, it's kind of the inverse of this movie. I can appreciate that it's a classic in some regards, and it really maybe broke some ground in terms of science fiction on in film and the type of story that it's trying to tell, the type of things that it's trying to talk about. Where it falls short, I think, is how well it, it has held up over time. And so, in that regard, I'm going to have to just kind of give it a very narrow recommendation. There's no action in this film. There's really no um, seriously elaborate, complicated special effects. It's actually mostly pretty grounded in its visual approach. And yet, at the same time, it feels a little bloated. You know, there's, like I said, there's like 40 minutes where we're on Earth and watching characters watch video of testimony from a cosmonaut who has returned from the space station. And there, it's all about just setting up what Solaris is, what the expectation of these reports that are coming out like uh, these people might be crazy they might be um somehow insubordinate they might, it, 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 there's a lot of the characters kind of prejudging what is happening and then we actually got to get to see what's happening and to me some of that maybe there's a use for it but i feel like it, it could have been way more streamlined we could have been much more efficient with the screen time and even the performances just get let's get through this faster get me to what is the actual story now again this may be a big part of the novel but i in terms of film it doesn't work it is it's almost not really necessary or it could have been done in a different way so for me you know for watching this film in 2022 or 2023 now um Solaris from 1972. Uh, see it if you like to appreciate it as a work of film history or even Soviet film history. But uh, just keep in mind, it's going to be a little work to get through it. Okay, so now let's move on to the next one here. Film Streak 180. Wow, 180 films. This is... Solaris from 2002. Can I help you? We're looking for Dr. Chris Kelvin. We've received no contact in the Solaris expedition for six months. 
Why not send in the security force? We did. We feel confident that if you can manage to board the ship, you can negotiate their safe return. Can you tell me what's happening here? I could tell you what's happening. But I don't know if they'd really tell you what's happening. That's not my son. My son is on Earth. And that's not your wife. Where did you come from? They are part of Sonaris. From Academy Award winners James Cameron and Steven Soderbergh. How long do you think you can go without sleep? Whatever you desire. You're being manipulated. Whatever you fear. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. It's not human and I'm threatened by that. Whatever you think. She's alive. Becomes real. For all we know, it's driving us crazy so we can watch us kill each other. What does Solaris want from us? If you keep thinking there's a solution, you'll die here. What if what's happening here started happening on Earth? George Clooney. Please, no! the door! You don't know what you're in for. So this film, I remember when this came out. And... Part of me even wants to say that I might have seen this before, but I just didn't remember anything about it. But I do remember when it came out, like when it was announced, there was a big deal made about it because the first thing, like top, the the top story, the headline with this was, oh, this is a James Cameron project. But not only James Cameron, because he wasn't directed in it, and he wasn't writing it, but he was producing it. And who was writing it and directing it was Steven Soderbergh, who, look, for my money, is a great filmmaker, one of the great filmmakers of his generation. You know, with Tarantino and Fincher and PTA and, and some of those others, Soderbergh's right there. And so to see that he's going to do what at least initially seemed to be a big science fiction film with James Cameron, Mr. Science Fiction. I just thought, oh, this is going to be really interesting. This is going to be probably amazing. And the next news about it was George Clooney was going to be in it. And now George Clooney and Steven Soderbergh had worked previously with um, Out of Sight and uh, I think Ocean's Eleven was right before this. And so I thought, okay, this is a nice winning combination of all of these factors involved. we got something that's going to work here. Now, at the same time, I hadn't seen the original Solaris, so didn't really know what to expect and didn't really understand any preconceived notions or comparisons of what this should or shouldn't be based on the original film, again, or the novel. So I really just looked at it as like, oh, this is going to be something really cool that uh, it's going to blow us away. Now, little did I know until now, like what the story and what the big idea with Solaris is, that that's not this kind of film at all. This film was never going to be that. And so those headlines and that sort of buzz about this kind of film, at least for me, uh, it was all wrong. 
So here, I feel like looking at the original and looking at this as a remake, this is a very different film. And the, the kind of core of it all is still the same. Same basic premise. We've got a a doctor, uh, Chris Calvin, who is going to this space station to investigate these reports and these incidents that have been happening where some of the crew members are uh, having some trouble. And now, here, what we see is we don't really spend much time on Earth. I think there's maybe 10 minutes. And even that, when you get to the end of the film, you have to think a little bit about what are we watching. But here we get a brief introduction to Chris Kelvin, a little bit of his life, and basically we're just setting up he's going to get to the space station. And we get there pretty fast. And when we do get there, it's a very different scene, very different, um, I mean, just visually, but it's also uh, the characters, the, the crew that he encounters there, the situation he encounters there is very different. There's much more uh, a sense of mystery and danger that uh, the original film doesn't really have. And some of that is through performances because the editing is still very deliberate and holds maybe a little too long. I think the idea is that we're trying to understand what the characters are trying to understand. And that is impossible. The characters don't really grasp what is happening. And we're trying to watch them not grasp it, if that makes sense. That's the way I read it. And let me just say this. When he gets to the space station, the crew that we encounter, the people there, much more... um engaging and interesting, I guess, than in the original film. I don't know if that's by design or if that's just a matter of the casting, but here we've got characters that are very distinct. I mean, I watched the original and I don't really think I could tell you which character was which in that film. And maybe it's just because I'm not familiar, you know, uh, these are actors in the original film that, I, I have no other context for. But here, when we get to the space station, we've got Viola Davis, we've got uh, Jeremy Davies, and George Clooney, of course. And so those are very distinct personalities, distinct types. The characters themselves are very unique. And so there's really no mistaking who is who and what their ideas and what their goals are. You know, the only one that really plays it kind of loose is uh, Jeremy Davies. And I think that's by design. When you watch the entire film, you get to the end, you realize why. But on that first encounter, when he, when Kelvin first arrives on the ship and the first character he sees is Snow, and Snow is just there listening to music or something, and he's just looking at a screen. And he's almost just very kind of casually like, oh, hey, you're you're here. And like can't even finish a sentence or even finish a thought. 
and is not really answering any of the questions that Calvin is asking, it, it almost makes you think, oh, well, this, okay, this is what's happening. This is how people's reactions to this planet are. They're, they're losing their minds. And losing their minds is not like, oh, they're just going insane, but they can't hold the thought. They can't string words together. They can't um, make a complete sentence. Everything is becoming fragmented and confused and in disarray. And as the film goes on, and we see Viola Davis, her character is Gordon, and uh, she is not like that. She is very direct. She is very um, straightforward. And so we say, well, okay, now there is something wrong with Snow, something different wrong with him. And so, you know, those things around the main character help to establish some of the situation for me. In the original film, I don't really feel like we focused on that too much. There are some in there. But a lot of it was more about them just having conversations and throwing questions back and forth about, well, you know, the nature of man and the nature of love and reality itself. And here it's not characters just posing questions. They're actually doing it in a way that's maybe a little more, I don't know, a little more clever because they're addressing these same needs and desires through plot through what they're trying to do. And here, Calvin, when his wife appears, uh, played by Natasha, was it Natasha McElhone? Who, look, I've seen her in other movies before, and here, I get it. I get it. And in this film, she plays his wife, who reappears on the space station. And yet he knows deep down, it can't be her. It's impossible. And we understand why as the story goes on. You know, in both of these films, the story is that his wife committed suicide. And as he's on the space station, as he sees her, as she reappears to him, almost as a ghost, but real. This is the planet. This is the ocean of Solaris playing tricks on him, or or not even playing tricks, but communicating with him. And yet for him, it's something deeper. It's something much more difficult. He's dealing with grief. He's dealing with regret. He's dealing with just overwhelming loss. And here, you know, here's where I have to give this film credit is it nails that down a little bit easier, a little bit cleaner. And maybe that's because this version of the story, we focus on Chris and Rhea and his reaction to that. And first his rejection of it, but then as time goes on, his complete and utter acknowledgement and commitment to it. He goes from being, this is impossible, this can't be, something's wrong, to, wait, I have a second chance to make something right, or to do something different, or to be happy, or whatever it is. And he goes uh, 180, he, he, he changes direction and is all in on this, and he doesn't want to let it go. 
And I think that's maybe much more cleanly defined and depicted than in the original. And so with that, at least in those terms, this film works much better. It doesn't really get into a lot of the bigger, broader questions about mankind and the, you know, the importance of love and the importance of acknowledging existence and reality and all this big, big, high-minded stuff. It, it, it doesn't really bother with that. And I say bother with it because those are things that some people can relate to, but others don't really care about. I think what maybe more people can relate to is a loss of someone in their life. And the need for love and the need for acknowledgement. And so that's where this film just dials it right into that. And in that way, it works much better. This story, at least this element of this story, works so much better in this film. Now, of course, this film came out 30 years after the original, in 2002. At this point, that's 20 years ago versus 50 years ago. But, you know, the interesting thing is that even 20 years ago, you can watch some films that were made just 20 years ago, and they look like it. You can see there are things that have just changed in the last 20 years that don't really make sense today. I mean, something as simple as seeing someone talking on a cell phone in a movie from 20 years ago uh, you know, if they've got a flip phone or if they're using like a landline, oh, that's a clear tip off. Like this is an old movie. Even if the story, even if the characters, even if, you know, the, 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 the cast and the special effects or whatever, even if all that still kind of works, there's going to be little things that tip it off here. I don't know if this was part of Steven Soderbergh's involvement or part of having James Cameron on board with this, but it feels like even 20 years ago, they figured out how to future-proof this film. It still looks great. All the, the set design, the production, the special effects, everything still holds up. It looks like this film could have been made just maybe two years ago. And so in that regard, you know, this film is much more timeless than the original because the original film is 50 years ago, granted. But there are some things that it, filmmaking just wasn't there yet. There were some things they were trying to do in that film that they did the best they could. And props to them for that. But looking at it now just doesn't really work. And here, there are some things that they clearly steered away from. And it's not necessarily because they couldn't pull it off. It's maybe just because they didn't feel like it was necessary. And like this film is like an hour and 40 minutes versus almost three hours. I think 245 or 248 of the original. And that hour difference is welcome here. Like I feel like this gets right to the point. We streamline the ideas that we're talking about. And the characters that we're dealing with. And 
I, look, I'm going to say this. This is better than the original. Now, with that in mind, neither one of these are really great movies. That's my take on it. That's my hot take. Solaris, not that great. Solaris Remake, a little bit better, but maybe still not that great. This is not Steven Soderbergh's best film. This is not James Cameron's best film. This is not George Clooney. This is, nobody in this film would call this their best work. So it's maybe more of an interesting exercise. And in a way, I'm open to that. Here's a story that we feel like is worth telling. And maybe we see a way to tell it a little bit differently. And so why not try it? It could be something big. It could be a misfire. I don't think this was either one. This one was just okay. It certainly wasn't groundbreaking in terms of the original. But I think the the nice thing of it, the benefit of it, I guess, is that it does hold up much better. And so I would say, look, if you're watching, if you're trying to decide in 2023... Which of these films to watch? It's totally going to depend on your taste and what you're looking to get out of it. But if you're just a casual moviegoer and you just want to see some science fiction film, I would, honestly, I would say watch the remake. Because you won't be put off by, oh, this looks maybe old or maybe this looks uh, kind of rough around the edges. Um, you know, You'll see something that looks at least familiar. You won't go to all the depths of the concepts as the original does. But you still get something interesting in here. It's not an action movie. It's not just mindless explosions and aliens and all that. There's none of that in here. This is about a much more human story involving loss and grief and regret and emotions, and even, in a way, the nature of reality. And both of these movies address that by the end in terms of, uh, in terms of how, they, how they pose these characters in a new reality. And I'll just say that the original film... Calvin decides to go back to Earth. He's kind of figured out this space station is just a problem. He's not going to really be able to solve anything. And after kind of coming to grips with his wife and the whole situation there, he decides to go back to Earth. And in the last scene in the movie, we see him go back to Earth. He sees his father. And yet something's wrong with it. Something doesn't feel right. And as we the camera kind of backs out from the whole situation, we see that Kelvin is in his father's house. And it looks like Earth, but we keep backing up, backing up, pulling out, and we see, oh no, we're in the ocean on Solaris. And that's where the character, I guess, shall remain for all time now in this perpetual kind of dream fantasy state. He's kind of transcended from man to this other realm. 
And so in the remake, it's not the same ending, but it is a very similar kind of uh, reveal that Calvin decides to go back to Earth. He goes back into his routine, or at least that's what it appears like. He's describing having to readjust to society again. And yet uh, he cuts his finger, like we see him do at the very beginning of the film, cuts his finger chopping vegetables, and it doesn't bleed. And as a matter of fact, there's no cut. And that's our tip-off, that uh, something's wrong here. And so in a way, it's, it's a similar result, is he has transcended. He has not gone back to Earth, but he has gone to at least a place that feels familiar and feels welcome, and that he will be supposedly eternally happy. And so with that in mind, you know, if this story is about bigger ideas, well, some of those aren't really resolved by the end. And if that's what you're watching the film for, uh, okay, cool, you want to touch on that. But I think the remake does it in a little bit smarter way by just dialing into what exactly matters for this story, for this character. So, to me, that's my vote. Watch the remake, first and foremost. Unless you're just like a real purist for the originals and for classics and for some long-ass Russian movies, okay, well, go watch, go watch the 1972 version. But I'm telling you, for most moviegoers, for most audiences, anybody who's just kind of casually looking for some science fiction, the remake's going to probably be a little better for you. Again, still not a great film, but it's at least a little more familiar. So that's my take on these two films. Um, I did enjoy both of these films. I just felt like they weren't quite to the level I was expecting. So this would be an interesting way to look at uh, maybe one version versus another, a different filmmaker versus the original filmmaker. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways to tackle this. Um, it's always fascinating to me to understand or to try to understand why remake something, especially something that's considered a, a classic or you know groundbreaking or innovative? Like, why would we redo that? Because you can't break new ground in the same spot, you know? So there's got to be some other reason why. And look, sometimes it's money, you know? Sometimes it's just like, it's a cash grab. But here, I, that clearly wasn't the case. It doesn't seem like it. I mean, maybe by casting George Clooney, they thought this could be a hit, but this isn't that kind of story. This isn't that kind of film. It requires some patience. It requires some, some thought, some examination. Both of these do. So this was never really, I can't see like, oh, this is just obviously a cash grab. They, tried to look at a different way to tell this story. Maybe that was a little cleaner. Maybe that was a little more uh, modern or even just a little more nuanced. So, all right. So look, that was another episode of film streak. I just wanted to talk about these two films. I, I think um, if you 
if you want to hear about some other more recent films, um, you can check out the previous episodes available on filmstreak.com. You can go and leave a comment there on each episode. Hey, if you have a recommendation, something you haven't seen or would like to see, or you know what, maybe I'm wrong about this film or both of these films. Just let me know. Help me understand. In the meantime, uh, you can leave comments on the website. You can send an email, comments at filmstreak.com. And uh, go there. You can sign up for um, for getting each episode. Every time I post a new episode, it'll come right to your email. So you don't have to worry about going to a website. You don't have to worry about even getting this in your podcast service thing. Either way, it's there. Go check it out. And in the meantime, look, I'm going to go watch some new movies. Thank you.